This morning, if you have your Bibles, would you please open your Bibles to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 6. The Gospel of Mark, chapter 6. Bring your Bibles if you have them. If you don't have a Bible, we will get you one. We will make sure that you have a Bible of your very own. But if you have a Bible, whether electronic or otherwise, print Bible, go ahead and open it up to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 6, as we're continuing to look at this Gospel and what Jesus has for us through his story, through the Gospel of Mark. Hometowns. Hometowns. Hometowns hold a lot of memories. Think for a moment of your hometown. This might be it. Aberdeen might be it, or the town in which you live and you traveled from this morning may be your hometown. But for a moment, think about your hometown. Hopefully, hopefully the good memories of your hometown outweigh the bad memories of your hometown. But we all have them. Even if we were there for just a few months or a few years, there are some communities that we identify with more than others. If you have a hometown and you have some good memories, the good memories outweigh the bad memories. If you live away from your hometown, it's often nice when you return to your hometown. Jesus' hometown was a small city called Nazareth in the northern part of the nation. The region of Galilee was Jesus' home region and for most of the disciples as well. But Jesus' hometown was this city called Nazareth. I've shared before a few years ago, uh, my wife and I were able to go and we traveled to Nazareth. And it's a, it's, it's a beautiful city. It's, very, it's, it's, on a, it's on a hillside. It's, it's a, a lot of climbing up and down. And it's quite the, quite the view from Nazareth. But, but Nazareth was Jesus' hometown. Mark chapter 6, verse 1 reads this way. Jesus left there and went to his hometown, accompanied by his disciples. Now, I am sure, like most hometowns, Jesus' hometown uh, provided a lot of memories for Jesus. Provided a lot of memories for Jesus. Maybe, maybe as he's with his disciples and they're walking through town, maybe Jesus shared some of his memories of Nazareth, his hometown. Maybe he shared something like, this is where, this is the home in which I grew up. Or he would point out and he would say, right over here, this is where my my brothers and my sisters and I would, would play. Or, or he would go and he would say, right here, this is where, this is where our father, Joseph, used to, uh, used to make furniture. He, he was a carpenter, you know. And, and he would share, perhaps, some of his memories. He would go by the synagogue and he would point out and he would say, that's the synagogue that my family and I would worship at. Verse 2 says, when the Sabbath came... Jesus began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. Now you understand, Jesus was a rabbi. He was a teacher, and uh, he, was, he was a little bit more than 30 years old. Often in that culture, you were not considered qualified to be a, a rabbi, a teacher of the law, until you were past age 30. Jesus was a rabbi, and initially he would have been welcome in the synagogue there in in Nazareth or really any other community. He would have been initially welcomed there in the synagogue. 
But as the people listened, it says here, and you see the word there, it says that they were amazed. Some Bible translations will put it this way, that he was astonished. Now, that's really not surprising. Whenever I read in Scripture, and there's actually a number of places where people were amazed at Jesus' teaching, that's, that's not very surprising because people were often amazed when Jesus spoke. He he had this incredible ability. They didn't understand it completely because they didn't understand the power of God upon him, at least initially. But they knew that when he spoke, he revealed insights into familiar scripture that, that, that no one, unlike anyone, that they had ever heard before. He spoke powerfully. And I don't think it was necessarily the timber or the inflection of his voice that was so dramatic, but it was the power that was behind it. We sometimes refer to that as the anointing. It was the Spirit of God upon him as he would speak, and he would share these things. So it's not surprising that the people here were amazed, but, but this was different. This time it was different than some of the other times in Scripture in the Gospels where it's mentioned that people were amazed at Jesus' teaching. More than just being amazed by what Jesus said, the people were amazed that he was the one who was saying it. That's what was so amazing here. The people were amazed not so much by what he said, but that he was saying it. In fact, they were so amazed that his words created questions in their minds and questions that they obviously stated because they were recorded here. Their questions are recorded beginning in verse 2. Questions like, where did, these, where did this man get these things? What's this wisdom that has been given him that he even does miracles? Isn't this the carpenter? Another question. Or how about this question? Isn't this, isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? <laughs> There's so many questions. I can, I can picture this. These, these people are listening to him, and, and the questions are initially going through their mind. But eventually it starts coming onto their lips, and they're saying, isn't that, isn't that Mary's son? Don't his, don't his sister still live here, just, just down the road? That's, that's, uh, that's, we don't know how long it had been, maybe, maybe a couple of years since he'd been there. We don't, we don't really have any understanding of how much time it has elapsed, but, but isn't that the carpenter? Isn't that, isn't, that, isn't that the carpenter? So many questions. Now, now, you have to understand what's happening here. More than just questions, what's happening here is the people of Nazareth were experiencing what this is a fancy term for it. They were having this intellectual dilemma. They're having this little argument, if you will, or this, this, this concern, this, this complexity going on inside of their head. You see, they acknowledged that he was saying amazing things. They heard it. They, they heard him say these things, and, they, and, and lights were coming on, and, and he was saying things unlike they'd ever heard anyone say before. He was saying things with such deep insight that, that were actually shocking to the people. So, so they acknowledged, in one of the questions, they acknowledged that he was saying some amazing things. 
And also they acknowledged that he had performed amazing miracles. They didn't deny that. Now, I don't know exactly how that information came to them. Perhaps, perhaps you know, word got around and it wasn't that big of an area that, that word wouldn't get back to them about some of the miracles that he had performed. In fact, some not too long before this point. So they knew that there were, there were miracles that were done by his hand or at his hand with his words. So, so they know these things. They know the things that he said and the things that he has done. But, and here's the problem, in, in their minds anyway, but he was a local boy. <laughs> he was so familiar. They, they knew his family. They, they knew them by name. They, they called him the, the carpenter. <laughs> I, I can't help but wonder if some of the people who are listening to this man speak, perhaps, just perhaps, we don't know, but because they referred to him as the carpenter, maybe they had some furniture in their house that he had built. It certainly had been built by his father. It's a family business. Some of them undoubtedly remembered Jesus. Now, again, we don't know how much time has passed, but, but they, they recognized that this is Jesus. He used, to, he used to play with our kids. He's a nice guy different than some of the other people, different than his siblings, but we know Jesus. He's familiar to us. And they had, because of this, they had a hard time accepting him for anything beyond what they could understand and beyond what they had experienced. Let me say that again. They're having this this thing going on inside of their head. They heard his words, they knew about his miracles, but he also he also grew up in their midst and he's so very familiar. And so they're having this really difficult time accepting Jesus for anything beyond what they could understand and beyond what they had experienced. See, that's very important. They, they could not accept Jesus for what they did not understand and what they had not experienced. And this intellectual dilemma, if you will, this internal struggle of trying to reconcile who Jesus was to what they thought he was came out in a very interesting way. Because the end of verse 3 says this, and they took offense at him. This internal struggle He's done all of these things. He said all of these things, but he's a local boy, and he's just kind of regular. We think he's kind of regular, and it came out, it came out with an offense. What he said, what he represented, offended them. It's as if the townspeople thought and said, because we we have their words here, it's as if the, the townspeople thought and said, who does he think he is? Do you kind of see that there? Who does he think he is? How dare he get up and talk to us that way? Who does he think he is? I don't know what the uh, I don't know what the Aramaic or Hebrew word was for uppity, but I, I you know that that kind of captures it. It's kind of uppity. Who, who, who does he think he is? If I could pause in the narrative, in the text, for just a moment. You know, this word offense. This word offense is a, 
is, is an interesting word. And, and you see it there. They, they took offense at him. These people were, were looking at this and they saw he was extraordinary, but because he was so extraordinary, perhaps it made them feel ordinary. And they're having, again, this intellectual dilemma. There's something special about him. Does that make me less special? I don't know if that was a part of what they were going through, but, but I have found this, and, and now this relates to us. I have found that when someone, when someone is offended, I have found that the problem often lies not within the offender, but within the offended. Ponder that for a moment. When someone is offended, the problem is not so much in who offended them or what offended them, in that they were offended. When I am offended, it often reveals more about me than the person who offends me or the thing that offends me. And, and I simply throw that out there that if, if by chance you are a person who is quickly, easily, or frequently offended, the problem quite possibly is within you. And you need to pray, oh Lord, give me thicker skin so that I am not so easily offended. I, I, I have been amazed. I, I don't say this because I know of anyone that's offended at me. I don't. But, but, but I have found in my experience that, that there are some people that you could say almost anything to, and they are not offended. It's just it's not, not a big deal. And then there's other people that are just the slightest little touch and they're so easily offended. How many know, you don't like to be around those kinds of people. And, and, and so if by chance you are a person who finds yourself easily offended, the problem, like these people, was not within Jesus. Jesus was being Jesus. and Jesus was extraordinary, but it says they were offended by him, which reveals much more about them than it did about Jesus. Now, let's move on in the narrative, the, the text here. Remember, the disciples were with Jesus. It says that up in verse 1, that Jesus and the disciples came into, into Nazareth. <laughs> the disciples were there as well. Jesus wanted them there, I'm sure for many reasons, but the disciples were there, and they would have witnessed all of this. They would have seen the people's responses. They would have heard their words. They would have perhaps heard the murmuring, the questions as they were filtering through the crowd. Who, who, who does he think he is? <laughs> and I wonder, I wonder what they thought. Would, wouldn't it be interesting to, to observe their thoughts, <coughs> the disciples' thoughts, what they thought of the townspeople being offended by Jesus? Because you see, because you see the disciples had experienced too much to ever believe Jesus was ordinary. Think of it from their perspective. They had seen too much to ever regard Jesus as ordinary. Not long before this, 
if you've been with us for some weeks, you know that not long before this, the disciples had seen Jesus demonstrate divine power over nature itself when he spoke to a storm with three words and it was immediately calmed. Not long after that, they saw Jesus demonstrate divine power over Satan when he delivered a man from a legion of demons. All of that had happened just a short time before. They saw Jesus demonstrate, demonstrate, not just speak of, demonstrate divine power to heal disease. In one case, a woman who had been sick for 12 years immediately healed. And they also saw him demonstrate divine power to the degree of raising the dead. All of that had happened just a short time before arriving in Nazareth. Again, these disciples who were also a part of this crowd in the synagogue in Nazareth that day, they had seen and experienced too much to regard Jesus as ordinary. Because with everything that Jesus did, we don't know exactly how long the disciples have been with Jesus at this point, certainly some months, maybe as much as a year or two. We, we don't know exactly the timeline here. But we know that they had been with Jesus for some time. And with everything that Jesus did, with every word, with every action, with every miracle, with every act of compassion, every time he touched someone who was unclean or allowed them to touch him, every time that happened, the disciples re were realizing that Jesus was far more than just a regular guy from Nazareth. That he was this, was, this was starting to dawn on them, that he was God. Because when you demonstrate divine power over nature, over the demonic, over illness, even over life itself, when you demonstrate that kind of power, you stop looking at someone in a regular way, and you start recognizing that they are not only extraordinary, but they are in fact God. And they were beginning to understand this. And in the months and in the years following this, let me, let me back it up. In the weeks and in the months following this, they would realize that even more. Again and again, they would see, even to the point now when they saw Jesus being raised from the dead himself, they would know beyond a shadow of a doubt, he is God. He's not a regular guy from Nazareth. So, so think for a moment from their perspective. How did they respond? How would they feel when they heard the people of Nazareth say, who does he think he is? He's just being uppity. He's just one of us. Didn't his family grow up right? Already they knew Jesus was unlike any person who ever lived. But to the people of Nazareth, people, by the way, who believed in Jehovah God, people who revered Jehovah God, these were good Jewish people. For them to think that the Son of God could have grown up in their little town, that would have been preposterous. That would have been offensive in the extreme. They, 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 they were just thinking Jesus was uppity. But had it been suggested at this point that he was God, the offense would have been infinitely greater. These people would have had a hard time describing God, but they wouldn't believe for a moment that Jesus was God. Today, 
20 centuries later, while a majority of people believe in God or a God or a benevolent presence or however they want to phrase it, while a majority of people believe in God, many people have a very hard time describing God. Take a look at this. People who are describing God. Describe God as, a, as, let's say, a spirit, something you pretty much can't grab hold of until he's really there. But like my pastor once told me, it's like grabbing on hold of nothing until something appears. Um, well, I guess. Um, as my own definition, God is love and everything kind and good in the world. And it's just the connection of events and the, all the positivity that you see in your life. And even maybe some of the negative things that turn into positive things. It's kind of just like a guiding force that's there to protect you and keep you safe and responsible for yourself and everyone else. Uh, neutral presence leaning towards benevolence. Um, I suspect I'd probably put a little towards male gender just because our society, we raised that, are raised that way, although I don't usually really put a gender to it, to the sense. Greatest feeling on earth? I am actually non-religious. I believe that God is something to believe in, and I mean, I'm not against any religious people. I just think that he's something to believe in, and everyone needs to have something to believe in. Um, so I definitely think he's important to a lot of people, but um, there are other things, too. So. God pretty much is my life. I've been raised a Christian, so I've been raised to love God and know that he's pretty much responsible for my existence. So... Well, I don't necessarily believe that there is a God, but if there was, I'd believe it would be more of like an energy, not just a person. Well, I think of God the same way I think of infinity. Like, there's no end, you know? God is everything. Like, he's the sounds and, you know, the sights, everything. Um, well, maybe someone who's always there, but you, you never see him. Like, one of those kids in class that never talks, but is always there to help you. If you forget your homework. If you forget your homework? <laughs> I would describe God as the creator, the sovereign Lord of the universe, someone who's involved in our day-to-day -day lives and who loves us and wants a relationship with us. Thank you very much. We appreciate your time. Thank you. Uh, how do you describe your heart? Uh, someone that's been with me all of my life, someone who I turn to when I feel alone, someone that uh, is always been a part of me. I would say I don't really have a full description of God. Um, I have my own personal thought on him, but I couldn't really describe exactly what he would look like or any direct image of him. Um, I usually talk about God as being the source of life, so um, that God creates, redeems, and um, lifts up all of life. All right, thank you very much. And Jessica? Um, I would have to agree and also add that I feel as though God is everywhere and in every person. Black with dreads. 
Thank you very much. Short and sweet. Thank you. Isn't it interesting that that even 20 years, 20, 20 excuse me, 20 centuries after after the people of Nazareth encounter God, because Jesus was and is God, 20 centuries later, people still have a hard time understanding or describing who God is. Much like, the, much like these people of Nazareth, if today you declare that Jesus Christ was more than a teacher, if today you declare, today, 2017, if you declare that Jesus was more than just a person of influence in first century Judea, if today you declare that Jesus Christ, that Jesus, that Jesus Christ is in fact God and Savior, Lord, Sovereign King, Healer and Deliverer. If you are to de declare those things, when you declare those things, many persons will be offended. <coughs> and the persons who declare that Jesus is God and Lord and Savior will be and have been mocked and disparaged and dismissed. Few people, if you were to go, if you were to be the man or the woman on the street with a microphone and ask people to describe God, you would probably not have responses much different than those that you just saw a moment ago. And most people would probably gladly share how they would describe God. But if you were to go and ask the simple question, is Jesus Christ the way, the truth, and the life? Is Jesus Christ, not was he, is he God? You would receive a far different response, wouldn't you? In Mark chapter 6, verse 4, after the people were offended, Jesus said this, only in his hometown among his relatives and in his own house is a prophet without honor. And sadly, the results of this virtual rejection, because that's what it was, of Jesus, this virtual rejection of Jesus in his hometown is in verse 5 that says, He could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. Jesus, it says, was amazed at their unbelief. But this unbelief had an effect. It had a tangible effect. It wasn't simply, well, we choose not to believe um, and, and really that makes no big difference to the world around me. It made a huge difference to the world around them because even though Jesus' power, don't misunderstand the text here in verse 5, it doesn't mean that Jesus' power was suddenly diminished. It's, it's not as if there was this, this spigot that was opened up and all of his power drained off. No, it shows the relationship between a degree of our belief and his power. But because that degree of Belief was non-existent because unbelief was so present. It affected how Jesus and what Jesus did in that community. And the results, is, the results were that only just a few people were, were positively influenced. Only a few people were healed and delivered in that region. How sad. How tragic. How different things could have been in that community. If they would have said, we don't understand it. 
We don't understand exactly why he says these things. We don't exactly understand how it is that he has the power to do these things. But we know this, whether he grew up here or not, we believe that there's something extraordinary about him. They didn't have all the answers. No one had all the answers yet at this point. Even these disciples that were with him did not have all of the answers. But had they said, we don't understand at all, but we believe in him enough that we will trust him with what he says and with what he does, how different the story could have been. Miracles could have happened. Families could have been transformed. Individuals, their minds, their bodies could have been healed and delivered. But it wasn't, and really it's a rather sad story. It's kind of a downer. It's like, wow. But I want you to see one other thing. This experience did not stop Jesus because the end of verse 6 says this. Jesus went around teaching from village to village. Please notice that. In other words, though Jesus went to Nazareth, which was a sizable community in comparison to some of the surrounding areas, it didn't stop Jesus from going to some of these other villages. It's as if to say, verse 6 Following verses 5 and previous, it's as if to say, though Jesus faced some rejection here in his hometown, Jesus did not stop there, but he went to other villages around. And there, people's lives were transformed. And he taught, and and lives were changed. And in the verses that immediately follow that, it says that Jesus then sent out his disciples into ministry. It says that they went into many different communities and in Jesus' name, they prayed for people and they were healed. In Jesus' name, they prayed for people and they were delivered from demonic spirits. In those places, powerful things happened. Even if it didn't happen in Nazareth, it happened in these other places. Sick people were prayed over. In the name of Jesus, they were healed. What an amazing time that followed this rejection in Nazareth. Now I want you to see here that the doubt and the rejection of some would not stop what Jesus wanted to do in countless other places. Some of you Many of you have faced some rejection as you, in faith and in trust, have stood before people and declared very carefully, very lovingly, sometimes, as as is appropriate, very forcefully. But you have shared the good news of Jesus Christ with some people, and you have faced rejection. In a very polite discussion about spiritual things, you introduce the fact that Jesus Christ is your Lord and your Savior. And the very moment that you mention the name of Jesus, suddenly you have a reaction or a response that is not unlike some of these people. There are some people who have been offended by what you have said as you have lifted up the name of Jesus. And in many cases, in many cases, some of you have 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 faced that rejection and and you thought nothing come of nothing came of it and perhaps nothing did but i challenge you this morning that you cannot let that stop you because there are other people in other villages there are other people in other communities who are absolutely bound by satanic forces people who are sick people who are who are dying and going to hell and and god has called us not simply to stop because of some people's rejection but to continue on because there are other people who are going to receive what god has for them and he's going to use you some of you 
were shut down, shot down years ago. You shared your faith. Maybe you were new in the faith, and you shared your faith with a a close friend or a family member, and, and it was thrown back in your face. Since that time, you've, you've not continued on. Out of fear, out of fear of rejection, out of pain of that past event, excuse me, perhaps you just kind of stopped. And I, I want to challenge you this morning. God has still called you. You're going, to, you're going to face some rejection. There are many of you here that are fishers. You, 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 you're a fisherman, you're a fisherwoman, you, you, you enjoy fishing and There have been many of you that have gone and you've cast and you've cast and you've cast and you've caught nothing, but then all of a sudden there's something there. I can't help but wonder if one of the reasons why Jesus said to the disciples, some of the disciples, I will make you fishers of men, is he wanted perhaps them to know that there are going to be times when you cast and you cast and you cast and nothing comes back, but there are going to be times when you're going to see a tremendous harvest of souls. And some of you, Some of you need to get back in the pond, so to speak. You need to get back and you need to go into some of those other villages and those places and those persons and take the good news of Jesus Christ to them who are lost without it. This is true today. Though it's been 20 centuries as the name and the person of Jesus is declared, individuals and families continue to be saved. In the name of Jesus, as he is is presented, people are set free, and bodies are healed, and communities are transformed. No one will stop his kingdom from advancing. And I challenge you this morning again, as I've challenged you so many times, as I continue to challenge you as we go throughout this gospel of Mark, it seems like every chapter, almost every verse seems to to have one major impetus, and that is that, that Jesus Christ has a message that transforms lives, and we are called to take it out to them. And so, this morning, I want to commission you again to do what Jesus has called you to do. There are many people who do a lot of different things here. Your job, your career, your business, they're all very important. But none of those things are eternal. Only what we do in the name of Jesus Christ. There are people that you have sat across from coffee with. They're dying and they're going to hell. God has called us. There are people that you work with, people that you study with, people that you, in some cases in your own family, people you live with, who are lost. We have the message of Jesus Christ. This morning, we often do a quick review of the newspaper early in the morning on a Sunday morning. Try and read it every day just so that we're aware of in our community. My wife made the comment. She said, boy, there's a lot of people dying. <laughs> didn't recognize anybody in the old bits. Well, I recognized one person, but didn't recognize too many people. But it's true, there's a lot of people dying. And my question is always, how many of them knew you, Lord? How many of them knew you? So Lord, use me. 
There's going to be rejection. That's, that's the sad part of the story. There's going to be some rejection as we take the gospel out. But there's going to be some lives who are transformed. Because God uses them. Would you bow your heads with me, please? Lord, in these moments, as we are settling our hearts before you, having done now, Lord, what you called me to do in presenting this message, so now, Lord, I, I step away and, and I fully acknowledge that Lord, in a few moments, my voice will not be heard, but your voice of your Holy Spirit will go with us. Lord, would you do something deep in our hearts that we would not, that we would not be like those people of Nazareth so long ago who could not understand God beyond our own experience or beyond our own expectation. Forgive us, Lord, for the times in which we have limited you, thinking that you do not operate a certain way. Forgive us, Lord, for the times in which we heard something said from your word we saw something done in your word but we rejected it because it was beyond our own experience beyond anything we'd ever heard before forgive us Lord for the times in which we have bypassed an opportunity of some past hurt some previous rejection help us Lord to stand upon your word help us to stand upon the authority of your word help us Lord Jesus to go into places to speak to people that are lost without you Help us, Lord, to stand in that way. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I'd like you to stand with me, please. I won't close in prayer. We're go- I'm going to ask the, uh, the worship team if they will lead us again in a song that we sang earlier called The Stand. And uh, you, can, you, can, uh, you can come and gather around these altars. You can turn where you are if you need to go. Just go. There won't be a formal closing, but but uh, band's gonna the, the worship team's gonna continue to to play and and uh, when you're done, God bless you. Go in the presence of the Lord, but go with this understanding that that God has far greater things for us than we could ever imagine. If we step out in faith and go to these villages that are lost without lost without people that are lost without the Lord. God bless you this morning. Joni, if you'd lead us.
Oh. 